a sip instead of yours. If you're looking for a way to get more positive things going into your life, I'd encourage you to check out our friends at Christian Living Magazine. You can find out everything you need at ChristianLivingMag.com. You have your coffee ready. You have this nice little blend. It's actually kind of like a bistro blend, and it works works pretty well. I'm liking it. Let's dig into this. This is the 29th lesson. Yes, 29. We are almost at 30 lessons into the gospel according to John. We are just starting chapter 13. And by the way, I forgot to mention last week. Last week was the 70th, 70 episode or stream or however you want to say it, lesson of of the podcast. So we've actually done 70 of these so far, and this is number 71. So hey, that's like a, a congrats, right? That's that's a lot doing this pretty much every week at 70, 70 episodes in. So hey, pretty good stuff. All right. So we're starting 13th chapter of the gospel according to John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 20. So we're getting the first 20 verses into this. And this is washing feet. And this is a really interesting section. And we're going to discuss why this is a really interesting section. And I feel really, really honored, really blessed. I get to preach on this exact, fun stuff, right? I get to preach on this exact section tomorrow at Cornerstone Worship Center in Nampa, Idaho. And we're in discussions that we've already said yes. So we, we get a phone call here a little later today to, to kind of discuss the how, but we actually will be doing an actual foot washing after the church service. So if you've never been a part of that and you're in the area and you, you kind of want to know what's that about, what's that like, hey, come on down, look, look it up. It's Cornerstone Worship Center. It's in Nampa, Idaho. It'll be great. I've only actually been a part of a church once when they've ever done that. And I was younger and thought it was really weird. There's a lot of things we do <laughs> inside the church that is a little, from a, a human standpoint, can be seen as a little weird, right? Okay, we dunk somebody in water really fast and bring them out and we celebrate. Okay, baptism, right? That's that's kind of weird. We eat a little tiny cracker or a little tiny piece of bread and drink a little tiny cup of juice, unless your wine or your, your church is really cool and you get this little tiny sliver of wine. And we say this is, we do this in remembrance of, of Jesus as the, the body and, and blood. And that, that's kind of weird too. In fact, rumors went around in the old days, in the ancient days, that Christians were cannibals because they would eat and drink the blood of, the, of their Savior. So it was, it was really interesting stuff, but there are some unique things. But this is, this is one of them, and it's going to be a good time. So if you're in the area, come on down and check it out. But let's dig into this. Lesson 29, chapter 13, verses 1 to 20 in the English Standard Version. Here we go. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, 
he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Okay, so this breaks down into a couple different places here. First, we get the first 11 verses, verses 1 to 11, which is also my hands and my head. I, I love getting to see Peter being Peter. And let's be honest, at least in my family, there's a lot of us. <laughs> Washing one another's feet in verses 12 to 20. Wash one another's feet. All right, here we go. Also, my hands and my head. So before we even get into the verses here, let's Let's discuss what this is, because some of this, if you've if you're familiar with the gospel story, by the way, yeah, there are four gospel accounts. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the one that we're in here. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are are done more in a timeline fashion. This is also somewhat in a timeline, right? But they work very seamlessly together. John was actually the last of the Gospels written. If you go back all the way back, I know this is 29. If we go all the way back to one, this is essentially the last Gospel written. And he has a tendency, and it, and it reads very much like he fills in some of the gaps. Like they, they saw these other things and thought they were more important because they were writing a little bit more towards the Jewish base audience. Well, John's not writing to the Jewish base audience. He's writing to the Gentiles. And they're not going to understand some of the Jewishness, right? They're not going to understand some of these things. And some of these things are really odd to the outside world already. And so he emphasizes some things that the others don't. And where Jesus has turned some things kind of upside down and around and said, you just kind of missed this, Mark. So we're just going to kind of yeah, you know, tweak things a little bit and get you back on track with how God intended this. And so for them, it's just a minor tweaking maybe. John goes right in and, and shares things in a way that makes it very clear and very evident for people who didn't have that background. That was kind of John's purpose in this, at least thousand yard view, right? You know, guessing from a long time, a, a long time after, it appears that that is John's intention is to give a, a the same account, but from a different lens to different people, right? That's the whole point of the Gospels is to share the good news. Gospel literally means good news. And it's to share the good news that Jesus came and to explain what happened, right? To explain what happened in both a historic context and also in that narrative context. So it, it helps to explain the story and why it's important. So this is actually John's account of some of this. If you read through some of this, some of it seems a little familiar or might seem familiar to you talking about one of them is getting is, is about to betray him. It's the one who dips the bread with Jesus and does these things. This, some of this sounds kind of like the Last Supper, right? It's where we get the Eucharist. If you read through Mark and Luke, you, you start to get the breaking of the bread. And this, this is my body. You know, if we do communion, that's which the technical term for communion is Eucharist, right? So when we do the Eucharist or communion and we break the bread and we share the bread, that comes from the Last Supper. And whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. It's my body. And here, when you drink the wine, do it in remembrance of me. This is my blood that's spilled for you. This right here is actually John's account of the Last Supper. Now, some people say that there is no account in John of the actual Last Supper. It's not listed as being the Last Supper. It's not anything like that. It, But you, there's... Okay, let's let's go through some of this. Let's just go through some of this really, really, really fast. The key elements of the Last Supper. It's a giant feast. You know, it's a it's a big meal right before the Passover. Now, the other gospels say it's the first meal 
during the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Passover feast, okay? While those are two separate, and we discussed that, that they are technically two separate events, they're often linked together because it's literally one's one day, the next one starts the next day. And so they just kind of link it all together. And that's why I said in some areas, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is practiced for eight days rather than seven days, or the, there's an extra day in there, is because they just started on Passover. They just started that extra day. So we get that account in, in some of the Gospels. It's believed, and this is for the history nuts. I'm going to go through this really fast. History nuts out there who, who want to sit there and critique and say, wait, these other gospel accounts say that this happened on the beginning of Passover feasts and festival. John's is saying it's right before. It is believed because if you link things up with the amount of things that happen and take place from the Last Supper going into Jesus being arrested, there's too much stuff to happen if that actually happened on the night before going into Passover, okay? It is believed that Jesus was practicing off of a different calendar that was back from the days of the Egyptian calendar, which, by the way, there were certain sects, and there I think there actually still are today. There may be sects today that actually practice off this ancient calendar rather than the lunar calendar that the Hebrews were practicing on then. And that actually had it starting a day earlier because it wasn't going off of a lunar system. It was going off of more of a, a just a metric. Here you go. Dink, 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 dink. Here's your days, right? And so if you practiced it that way, it started a day early. So Jesus was celebrating it a day early, but starting it on that calendar instead of the currently accepted at that time Hebrew lunar calendar or the lunar calendar of the day. And if you look at those, it actually lines up. There's historians who've done this and it lines up with this day. And, and if you do that and you line it up, the gospel accounts actually fit and flow 100% together. This has been done and shown. It, it's kind of a, a cool thing. This is one to where you can take it with a, take it on faith, or you can actually do the math and, and line up the calendars, which they've done, and it works. So it, it is just kind of a fascinating thing. But this is actually John's account of the Last Supper. It's a little different because he emphasizes, like we said earlier, he emphasizes different elements to show a, a, something else that's important. When you're talking to the Jews, hey, it makes sense. Let's accept Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, because it's a pretty big deal. A lot of you didn't want to accept him as the Christ and Messiah, so this makes sense. We are going to celebrate breaking bread, drinking wine, doing this in remembrance of the Messiah who has come. That makes sense to do for the Jews, right? For the Gentiles, maybe not as much. Maybe we need a different element to change this, to change this mindset of leadership. And we're going to point that out here in just a little bit, okay? But at chapter 13, on a more broad note, right? Chapter 13 is a changing in the gospel according to John. The first 12 chapters of the gospel according to John, John is describing Jesus's ministry focused towards the Jews, right? Salvation comes from or through the Jews. And so Jesus's original ministry on earth was towards the Jews. Now from 13 to 17, there is a total shift where Jesus is now focusing his energy on the finishing touches and training for his messianic, which means believers of the Messiah, right? Messianic would be those who believed that he is the Messiah his messianic community. He focuses very, very, very heavily on his disciples. Okay, so this is, in a realistic term, he focuses and finalizes his teachings, his earthly teachings, onto the disciples. He's finishing that up. Then we get from 18 to 20, and excuse me, I said 20 chapters. There's actually 21 chapters in this. Excuse me on that. 18 to 20 are the passion narrative, right? That is him actually going to the cross, dying on the cross, being raised, and his coming back and, and talking to people and showing himself, showing that he had been raised. And then 21, and this is why I said 20, because 21 is an epilogue. It's the it's the ending. It's just the, the epilogue just wrapping things up. Okay, so there are technically 21 chapters, not just technically, but there really are 21 chapters in this. So that's that's wrapping it up. But that is what this is. So let's get into this. We've already read it. We've gone over it. Now let's dig into this. First one. Now before the feast of the Passover, now here, now before the feast, John is clarifying that this is prior to the main Passover feast and festival. This is happening right before the, the general community of, of the Jews is celebrating 
Passover. Okay, that would make this Wednesday. Now, Thursday, that would make this Wednesday, which, by the way, does make it make a whole lot more sense for how much stuff happens between now and going into the Passion narrative. We have four chapters, four chapters going up to the Passion narrative. A lot happens. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, again, he's not on the cross. He's not just falling over dead. This is means at hand. It's now. The time has come. It's, it's happening. Hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. That would be his followers, his messianic community. That would be most, most theologians say this is his disciples. He's, he's really referring to his disciples, but it's really all of those who have come along and are following him. He has loved them. But because of the emphasis of how much in his teachings start to turn and he starts focusing on the disciples, we're going to look at this as the 12, okay? The 12 disciples. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, to the end doesn't mean to the end of his life. To the end is really a reference to completely. Like he loved them this much, right? You have the little T-Rex, this much. So, right? You love them completely. Verse two, during supper. Now, the Greek here in during, genome ahi. It's a really weird word. Anyway, it means to come to pass, to be made, but it also means done, to be done. This is one of those, I liken it to kind of like aloha, right? If you go to Hawaii, aloha. And there's that old joke. If you're on the phone and someone says aloha, do you, do you start the conversation all over again? It's it's one of those that it can mean it's started or it can mean it's finished. So the ESV, I really like because it does say during supper. It could be from the beginning all the way to the very end. It could, and, and in all practicality, it probably means though some people, it started, some people are still eating, but Jesus finished eating what he was going to eat. Okay, so during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, and I love to point out to that, it, it's, it's, it's been put on him. Jesus picked the 12 disciples. Jesus loved the 12 disciples. John just finished pointing out that Jesus loved them completely. He just loved them. It's the devil that put this into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, him being Jesus. Three to seven. Let's just go through all that. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, all things into his hands, into Jesus's hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. You notice little elements like this a lot that John writes. The beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, he came from God, was going back to God. Verse 4, rose from supper. So he rose. He got up. He laid aside his outer garments. Mind you, I want to point out just the outer garments. <laughs> this is Some people want to take this as like, he stripped down. Like, well, he left some undergarments on, right? He left. So this is PG. This is PG. It's not, it's not some crazy scene. So PG, he left his undergarments on, but took out his outer garments. He made a point to lay out that it was the, the outer garments. And then taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Okay, notes in this section, because there's, there's a few things here. Knowing this is showing that Jesus knew that, that Judas was doing this and Jesus still loved him, right? Knowing that Judas was going to do this, Jesus still loved him. Jesus was from the Father, was going back to the Father, and this needed to happen. Did he want it to happen? I don't think so. And we, we see enough things in scriptures that no, there's, there's just, there's no way. Who wants this to happen? No, nobody wants this to happen, but it, it has to. To fix the divide, to fix the problems that had been created, this had to happen. And he knew it. And so he still loved Judas. Didn't want it to happen, but still loved him. Made the point of the outer garments. He's a symbolic gesture as well of stripping the authority that he has as 
Lord and teacher, right? Stripping that authority down and putting himself down into a servant's position, showing that he is serving. Now, Peter is definitely known to speak his mind. It is a servant's job to wash people's feet. Now, it's really your own job to wash your feet. But if you went to a, a pretty fancy little place, a uh, place where people had some money, they would actually have a servant, a hired hand or a, an actual slave, like an actual servant. I know that's taboo. We don't say these words these days. That was, um, let's be real for a second. That, that, was, that was the world. That was how the world was for a very, 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 very long time. In fact, still today in certain parts of the world, we see things like this, but in maybe different ways. That is how things have been. The stop of that started through Judaism with Jesus, right? We see God actually said before that, having slaves is not a good thing. You, you need to forgive people's debts because it was, there was, slavery started in a couple ways. You would either conquer a land and their people became your slaves or somebody was indebted, like you'd have a prisoner or an indebted servant and they would be paying it off and it would be paid off in very slow, very small increments. And it would take a very, very, very long time to pay that off. And so God actually said, you can't have that forever. You have to have a day of Jubilee where we release the debts, it's forgiven and it's gone and it's over with because you can't just hold people hostage for that forever. So we see that God has said that that is not a good thing basically from the beginning. This is not good. I see what you're doing. Not good. We're going to release this. And then Jesus made it even more clear and, the, and Christianity started the ending of the slavery system. But that was a real thing of the day. And so the Bible is a real document, is a real text, and they're going to point out some of the real things. So slavery, you'd have an actual slave who would wash the feet because they didn't have paved roads like we think of it today. Yeah, you'd have, Romans had roads. They had some pretty amazing way of laying stone and doing their own concrete, but the vast majority of things was dirt. And so people would be walking around in dirt. Well, they didn't have automobiles. So what do you think pulled the carts? Other than people... You had donkeys, you had goats, you had horses, you had all sorts of stuff, pulling carts, and there wasn't something that just cleaned up after them all the time. People walked, and anybody who's had children that has done dog duty in the backyard knows that it's not always perfect, right? <laughs> People would sometimes step in things. And so it was either you cleaned your own feet or you had a servant do that. You don't have somebody who is your teacher. You don't have somebody who's your religious teacher, somebody who you view as your superior, right? You don't have somebody like that go down and do this. So Peter speaks his mind. A, a teacher should not be doing this. That's a servant's job. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus tells him exactly what he thinks about that. Jesus answered him in seven, what I am doing, you do not understand, but afterward, you will understand. Then Peter doubles down in 8 to 11. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. It, it sounds like Peter's being a jerk, right? It sounds like Peter's just flat out being a jerk. Peter, in all honesty, is saying what everyone else is thinking. This is not right. This is not okay. I'm here to learn from you. I should be the one washing your feet, but I'm not even worthy to untie your sandal. You should not do this. You're never going, I can't let you. I love you and respect you so much that you will never wash my feet. You don't need to do that, Jesus. You're not washing my feet. Hey, Sip and Studiers. As you may know, the family and I have been called into missions and are now officially missionaries to the church in Pakistan. Can't tell you how excited we are for this. It's a great opportunity and we are so blessed for it. But if you've known anybody who's gone into missions, you know, can't do it on our own. We need people to be partnered with us, partnered in prayer and yes, also in financial support. But there's so much more. If you feel God tugging at your heart, letting you know that he has a plan for you to make an impact in the church in Pakistan, we'd love for you to reach out to us and partner with us. And you can do that and more at chogglobal.org slash dsbrown. That's chogglobal.org slash dsbrown, as in Drew and Sonny Brown. Now, 
back to the study. But Jesus then turns around and really points out how badly Peter has missed the mark in understanding what's happening. Okay, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Meaning, everything has been for not for you. You're not one of my own. You lose your right into salvation is what he's saying. He's like, you're, you're losing everything. Like, if you don't let me do this, you're, you're actually not one of mine. You're not one of mine at all. I love his response here in nine. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. A quick 180. Whoop. Okay, I'm, I will let you wash my feet. If you really, like, that's what you're into <laughs> and that's what it takes to stay with you, then you know what? Let's, let's do this. Let's do this thing. Go ahead. But don't stop there. You can take care of my hands. You can take care of my head. Whatever we got to do to make sure that I am here with you, Jesus Let's do this. And Jesus says in verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Okay, so Peter seems to be going way overboard. Jesus seems to be kind of blowing things up a little bit, like it's almost a sarcastic response on top of sarcastic response or jerk to jerk, right? It's one of those, they're either having a little bit of an argument or there's sarcasm to sarcasm. It doesn't matter which way. It is a it is a big deal. And Jesus is saying, no, this is a big deal. You need to understand. I came to serve. This is going to happen. You want to be part of me? You want what I have to offer. You need to let me do this because I came to serve you. You're learning from me and I'm trying to teach you here. Let me teach you by showing you, right? Let me teach you by showing this. So Jesus gives another picture of symbolism here. You've been bathed. You are clean. This is a representation of you've been clean. You are saved by belief. Our symbolism for that would be in baptism, right? Our water baptism. Okay, which they did before, right? They were doing baptism. Okay, you've been saved. You've been bathed and clean. You've been washed in and out. It's a symbolism. Only your feet need cleaned. You're dusty. There's a daily thing, and they would do this daily. When they would pull into a new town, when they would get where they were going before bed or anything, they would wash their feet. Somebody would wash their feet when they went into for dinner and or wash their feet when they were going to bed. This is a daily refresher a daily refresher. Some take this as a, a sign and an indication of confession. We see in 1 John chapter 1, 7 and 9, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is symbolic in nature. Jesus is doing a couple of things here. And especially, again, I love John because you get these dualities. These mean multiple different things. Jesus is showing something on top of this. This is an extra piece. Jesus is showing this daily renewal, this confession. It's good. We should confess to one another to unburden ourselves, to unburden our spirits and our souls so that we feel better here. It's good to share that and to share with one another so that we can help to lift each other up, hold each other accountable. Accountability is a good thing. We can help with that. And we should also confess our sins to God for that daily refresher, that daily cleansing of our feet. One who is bathed, is cleaned, is purified. If you believe in Jesus, you're good. But those daily refreshers of constantly going back to God, God, forgive me for, for the sins that I've done today. That's also good. Just washing and cleansing, cleaning off the feet. Daily refresher. But then he says, not all of you. Not all, now, there's, there's more to this than, than what I just said. That is one element. We're going to get there. So just hang on a second. Hang, hang tight. We'll get there. But when he says here, not all of you are clean, He's referring to Judas Iscariot. John's actually already pointed this out earlier. 
we see in verse 2 during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. He's pointing this out. He's going back and forth. Kind of like mm, they saw each other as brothers and one brother did everybody wrong and and, and they're kind of holding grudges or something. I don't know. I mean, just right. Uh, it's almost like humanity comes through every now and then in this. Then we get into verses 12 to 20. Wash one another's feet. Let's look at 12 to 14. Okay, let's look at 12 to 14 for a second. When he had washed their feet, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place. So he gets back to the table, right? He finishes what he's doing. He gets himself dressed back up and he goes back to the table at supper. He goes back to the main meal with them and he sits back down and he says to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Now pause really fast. Some translations, because the two, that's not actually a two in Greek. That kind of a word is not in there at all. It's two or four. And I actually think, and some translations show this, I think I saw it in the, in the NIV showed it as for you. And I would agree with that. I think that is a, a, a more accurate representation of what's being said is, do you understand what I have done for you? Not necessarily what I have done to you because Jesus physically washing their feet is not a salvation act. It's not something that he did directly to them, but something that he's doing for them. He's showing them something. So for, for the mental grasping part, I think it should be for you. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so. I keep wanting to reverse those. First of all, teacher and Lord, keep this in mind. We see Lord, and especially here in America, we don't have Lords, right? We don't have anything like that. So to us, that I, I think that has a tendency to instantly translate to God, someone of a super, super high stature. That is a, a God figure. Like you're calling him Lord because he's God in the flesh, right? He's Jesus. Lord and teacher was actually, those were normal titles for a rabbi, especially if somebody was a disciple or somebody who was really looking up to them. There's somebody who was at a lower Status sounds really bad, but but really kind of in the, the, the religious hierarchy of the day, right? If someone was at a lower status, they would call them Lord. Or if they were just trying to show respect, they would either say rabbi, which is teacher, or they would say Lord. Excuse me, Lord, like you you have a position of, of honor and power. Today, in Christian stance, in some cultures, they would say like reverend, right? I, I have always struggled with, and I even to this day, in fact, I was having a conversation, was working on an ad and was told, hey, you need to add your name into this so that people can understand who, who who's doing this. And I really struggle putting reverend in things because reverend means revered. It, and I, I've always had that mindset that the one who should be revered is, is Jesus. Like that, that the reverence should go to God. It should go to Christ and not to man. And so I've always struggled with that. Is it my title? Sure. It's my title. It's been for quite a while, but I still struggle with that because I think that that reverence should go to God. And so even then I was, I was struggling with this, but we would say, and in some cultures, it's just really normal. You would say reverend or pastor or whatever people would say in, in different cultures, everybody in different, different places would say these things. If you're from down South, you might say, sir, ma'am, right? Like it's just a, a, a polite title, right? It's something that you would say as showing respect and dignity towards and saying that I am showing respect and honor and, and to your position and power, where you are at. Like you are somebody who is in a, in a position that deserves to be noted, right? So that's what they're, they're saying here by teacher and Lord. It's not saying, they're not calling him God yet. They're not saying Lord as in God, Lord God, but just Lord as in somebody who is high stature, someone who is in a position of power, which is very interesting because there, you see all throughout this, the narrative of he came from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. And yet they're calling him Lord. They're calling him teacher. He's a rabbi. He's potentially a prophet. He's the Messiah. Like it's just, there's so much about that, right? But don't get caught up in thinking that they're calling him God and that that is a title of calling him potentially God. No, they're, they're calling him just normal terms of rabbi. And so he says, when you call me teacher, which literally in, in Hebrew would have been rabbi, when you call me rabbi and, and Lord, sir, like Lord and Lady, right? If you think of England, right? Lord and Lady, like Sir, like up, right? You call me Rabbi, Lord. 
And you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, when he says, do you understand, it shows the symbolic nature, which we actually see in 15. When we get to 15, it shows and it works better with four because of the symbolic nature. And it says, if I, then you also, if I who are greater am willing to lower myself to the level of a servant, to do what it is that a servant does to serve you, you should do the same. Now, this didn't really make sense to them until after the crucifixion, right? What he's talking about, what happens here? This doesn't make sense in, in full. So when he says, this makes sense to you, this will make sense after, like it doesn't make sense now, but it's going to after. He's making some explanations now, but fully it doesn't make sense to them until after the crucifixion and then the resurrection. 15 to 17. For I have given you an example and this is an example. This is symbolic in nature. I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Okay. Specifically, 16 and 17 can seem really confusing. Okay. You're dropping yourself from teacher Lord status down to servant status, to serve the disciples. But then you're going to talk about things and say, well, but I'm not saying that uh, a servant is greater than a master, nor am I saying that a messenger is greater than the one who sent him. But if you know these things and you do it anyway, you're blessed. Like this, it's, it's confusing. It can be very confusing. So when Jesus says this is an example in 15, he's saying this isn't a means for salvation, right? This isn't a salvation thing. But it's an example of a right relationship, right? Jesus came as an example of a right relationship with God and with others and to save. Jesus came as that example. He came for salvation. This right here, washing feet, is not an example of salvation. But Jesus came to save and to give us that example of right living and right relationship with both those around us and with God. He was great at that. And this is an example saying, hey, I'm giving you an example of how to live with those around you. This is part of this example. Now, is he talking about literally going and washing feet? Maybe not. It is symbolic. It's still a good thing to practice per se. I think it's good to do this every now and then to humble yourself, to put yourself back in the right position, to show these things. Now he says, they're not greater, right? I'm telling you in verse... 16, a, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Jesus is, is just clarifying here. And it's confusing because the whole thing can be confusing, but he's trying to clarify that this is by showing humility, this is a sign of humility, and by showing humility and taking the role of a servant, or as we would say now, we would say a servant leader. When you're serving inside of the church, you become a servant leader. This does not change the order of the world. This makes a lot of sense. Just hang, bear with me here. Hang with me here. This makes a lot of sense. And it's important to point out because Jesus was seen, and John's pointed out a few times, how the Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, they're all looking at Jesus and, and complaining about how he is turning things upside down how he is changing the way everything works. He's going against how all of this stuff has been for a long time, right? They, they've seen things, they've just started doing things this one way, and they've, they've kind of held to it in a very ritualistic way. And he keeps changing it, changing the narrative, saying, you're missing the point, you're missing the point, you're missing the point. Well, he's trying to say, look, I'm not saying that servants are really more powerful I'm not saying that the messenger is really a more important figure than the one. Because if that was the case, Jesus would be a more important figure as the messenger than God the Father. But Jesus, has been pointed out, he didn't see himself as being equal. Even though he was equal, he didn't see himself as being equal to God. God the Father, he kept always putting honor and prestige and everything towards the Father, dropping himself down, even though he is God, he continues to put that right relationship and go up to the Father. 
okay, showing that. He's saying, I'm not trying to tell you that the way of the world in that there is a hierarchy we have up and go down is backwards and we need to start going from the bottom up. What he's saying is it's not a change of the order. It's a change of the heart. Leaders who want to be good leaders need to change their hearts and stop serving down, top down, going, hey, you are here to serve me and I'm going to get whatever I want. That's the thing. They would serve, they would work, and, and they would want it from the bottom up. You serve to get the power and everything up to the top. And the top is where the importance is. Jesus is saying, we need to reverse that in heart. If a good leader is going to happen, they need to drop themselves and serve those who are underneath who would normally be serving me. It's a servant leadership. This is a showing of how things should work in the church. Yeah, you're here to lead. You're here to guide. You're here to teach. You're here to develop. You're here to do these things. But to do that, part of it is to serve the community, to serve them. You are not here to get power and authority and prestige from them and from their acts and from their service. No. Your job, yes, is to lead them, but to serve them. It is to humble yourself down and to realize that to serve God, you have to serve and minister to those he loves. And those are his people. Those are people. It's his creation. And to do that, we need to humble ourselves and drop down into a low position and to serve and honor them. Stop putting them down and stop pushing them down and get down and help them and bless them from below them. Lower yourself down to below their stature to honor them. That's how you're going to serve. Okay, Jesus is giving a representation of that. 18 to 20. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. Now pause here because we have talked a little bit in the past about Arminianism versus Calvinism, free will versus predestination. A lot of times when people will see chosen, right, there is the, the term the elect. They're going to sit there and say, okay, this is a, a sign of salvation. You were chosen. You had nothing to do with this. No, this right here is not part of that argument. This right here is not part of that debate. It has nothing to do with salvation whatsoever. Jesus is specifically talking about the 12 disciples. I know who, uh, whom I have chosen. I have chosen my select few to come along, to follow me, to learn from me, to grow, to start the church after, okay? He's talking specifically about the 12 disciples. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. This comes directly from Psalm 41, 9. Psalm 41, 9, which says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Okay, the other gospel accounts discuss the Eucharist here at this point. Eucharist is communion, what we call communion for the most part. That's just the technical term again. And giving another, this is giving another glimpse of, of what's happening and giving another glimpse that this is really a reference to the Last Supper. Now, lifting up a heel was a reference to preparing for an insult or a kick. It's just, it's kind of an ancient saying, right? It was just a way to represent they're, they're attacking against. He who ate my bread, lifted his heel against me. 19, I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. I am he, meaning I am who was prophesied. I am who you have been waiting for. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Jesus tells them that this is for their benefit, that they may know and believe all the more that he is the Christ. Now, mind you, they struggled with this up until after his death and resurrection, right? They, they didn't struggle during his life, but when he died, they struggled until his resurrection, and when he resurrected and they saw him again, and I can say that pretty confidently and pretty comfortably because a lot of them just went back to work. <laughs> they went back to fishing. So then Jesus sets the table for leveling the field to them 
and thus to the church. Whoever receives whom I send, meaning whoever Jesus sends, whoever receives that person. Now, as the church, we see this. When Jesus actually sends the disciples, right, he's saying, whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me is receiving the Father. So whoever receives you, in essence, receives the Father. If A is B, then B is C, right? So it's it's just going down the line. And that sent that out and leveled the field to them. Because before it was, Jesus would say, whoever receives me receives the Father. If you, if you knew the Father, you'd know me, right? Now he levels the field and says, whoever's going to accept you, my disciples, receives me. And then thusly receives the Father. And that goes all the way down throughout the church. Whoever receives anyone today, anyone in the body today, receives Jesus and then receives God the Father. And what can we take away from this? Back in the day, right? Back in the day, people wore sandals. The roads were dirt. They did have some paved roads. They had like the, the Roman roads, the Roman paved highways, and they did have some like cobblestone roads. There was a lot of dirt around. There was a lot. People were walking through fields. Most houses didn't have like nice wooden or, or uh, stone floors, a lot of dirt floors, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yada over the best parts. Okay. Feet were something that only a servant or a hired hand would touch other than yourself, right? Nobody messed with that, the feet. But Jesus lowers himself to show that leaders should serve. They should serve their flock. They are not to have a flock to serve them. That's just part of the reason why God has always used the representation of a shepherd. The flock is not there to serve the shepherd. The flock is not there to serve the shepherd. The shepherd is there to serve the flock. As a servant leader, you are there to serve your flock lead them and help them and direct them in the ways of God, point them towards Jesus, help them grow, but serve them, minister to them, help them with their struggles, right? But that doesn't just mean pastors. That means everyone. That means everyone. We should all be doing this for one another. Even if you're sitting there saying, I'm pretty much brand new. I don't know much about this. I can guarantee you there's people that don't know as much as you do. There are people who haven't gone through life situations that you have, that maybe they're starting to go through these situations that you can help them with. We are to minister to one another. This is not a limited thing to pastors only. This is not a message going towards pastors. This is a message going to all of us saying, we are all to minister to one another. And there are times where we should all be dropping down and washing each other's feet, whether that's physically or metaphorically. And the metaphoric is ministering, serving. How do we serve one another? What are we doing for one another? Also, we see Jesus's point in this is so steep and so meaningful to him that he even says that by not submitting and by not serving is to not share in his share, meaning in what he is, has and what he is giving, salvation. Loving and serving God is shown by loving and serving others. This is a dual example, though. Peter didn't want to submit. Jesus dropped down and served, but Peter did not want to submit. Sometimes our act of service is allowing others to serve us, is allowing others to serve. Don't rob somebody's blessing by not allowing them to bless you, okay? It's okay. Sometimes we need to stop ourselves, and I struggle with this one a lot. Sometimes we need to suck up the pride, have a little humility, and allow others to bless us as well. Sometimes we're there to lower ourselves and serve. Other times we need to drop the pride and allow others to serve us. But look at that. When Jesus says, if you don't let me do this, you have no part. He wasn't saying if you're not dropping down and washing feet, He's saying, if you don't let me do it for you, we need to allow others to serve us as well. We serve and let them serve too. This even extended to the ones that was the one that was to do Jesus harm. Jesus put no limits on this. There's no limit. This is not a serve those who are nice. This is not a serve those who need and deserve. This is not a serve 
while recording it and posting it to YouTube to get shares and likes for your self-benefit. His example was to serve and to wash all, even those who weren't cleansed and were about to do wrong, like have them arrested and put to death wrong. Remember, sometimes serving God is uncomfortable. Sometimes he asks us to do things that don't make sense and to do things for people we don't want to do them for. Sometimes it's even accepting service from people we don't feel we deserve or want help from. Let God decide. Simply follow and trust that he gets the glory and that it's for a purpose. Father God, thank you so much for today, for this word, for this great reminder and showing us that not only are we to humble ourselves and drop down and to serve others, to serve others in ways that make us uncomfortable, that maybe isn't even right or proper for us in, in our stature in life, that it's not about stature in life. It's not about who's above and who's below. It's about love. It's about mercy. It's about just helping to help, being there to bless people by blessing people, showing you and showing Jesus. And I just ask that you, you help us, that you give us the strength to drop onto our knees and, and to wash people's feet. God, and you also help us to, to suck up the pride when it's our turn to have our feet washed, to accept that love and that support and that blessing. Because I know it goes both ways. Sometimes it's hard to do the washing and sometimes it's hard to be the one receiving the washing. God, just give us the strength and the ability to accept and to go and to serve and to be a blessing to the world. God, you get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, thank you guys so much for being here. I hope you learned and got something out of it. Have a great rest of the weekend. You know what? Hey, hope to see you guys if you're in the area. Love to see you tomorrow at Cornerstone Worship Center where I'll be preaching and we, in theory, will actually be washing some feet. So have a great rest of the weekend, everybody. God bless you all. Bye-bye.